Hello, is this uh, is this Freddie Schaffner? Are you ready? Are you <laughs> I think ready? you're thinking of Freddy Krueger. Thank you. Uh, might be thinking of Al Kruger. He's a uh, he's a guy from the Ontario Processing Vegetable uh, um, Association. <laughs> so so speaking of people that have the same name, I got a I got a text uh, I got a text this morning from a friend of the show uh, Michelle Daniluk saying, uh, on my calendar I have a 9 a.m. call with Don. Is that you? <laughs> <laughs> it's a different Don. And- and, and, well, and uh, and my response was uh, no, it's not me. I've got a nine a.m. podcast with Ben. <laughs> maybe 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 Michelle wanted to join us today. Well, no, actually, it turns out there's another uh, there's another Don that she knows from uh, PSA. What? There's no other Don. Well, there's there's at least one other Donald, but we're not going to talk about that this mm-hmm. week. There's a D D A W N that you and I know, Don Don Johnson. Not oh D-A, my god, not D A D O D O N Johnson. Don and not. Yes, not to be confused with Donna. I tell you, oh that's gosh. the worst. That's the worst possible combination of people to have on a conference call: Don, <laughs> Donna, and Don. <laughs> because <laughs> see, now you can tell when I say Don versus Don. I'm saying two different words. Some people don't say those two words differently, and yeah. it is really annoying. I I think I say them the same. I, I, I in my mind they 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 uh, they're coming out the same. Uh, so I'm sorry. I just go Don, Don, Don. Maybe I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's different. I'm not sure. Um, well, I've just I've just on those calls. I've just learned to uh, retune my brain to not respond when someone says my name. <laughs> yeah. Hello, Don. Hello, Don. Is that you? You don't. You just don't respond. That's a good move. Exactly. Exactly. Oh, Don, 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 Don. Hey. Um, <laughs> <laughs> now you're now you're just messing with me. I really am. I really am, Freddie. I'm just gonna call you Freddie. There is so I mean, little little inside joke here um, that goes back to about six minutes ago when I texted Don and said, "Are you ready?" And he said, "Ready, Freddie." Like uh, uh, Scooby Doo, Freddie. Uh, I think I think that would mean that you're Freddie though, not me. Whatever. I'm just. I mean, it could be could be, could be both of us. We could both be Freddie. We could both be. I think that I think the correct response to Ready Freddy is Go Joe, um, but I but I'm not sure what popular culture that is referencing. <laughs> is that from uh, Ham Radio? Is that a couple of handles? Uh, breaker Breaker Ready Freddy Go Joe, over over and out. I'm not I'm not I'm not quite sure, but uh, I'm sure the internet will uh, will tell us the answer. So oh, the internet, the internet's uh, giving me a pause for stuff lately. Um, uh hey so it's it's winter here now like uh, like like in game of thrones <laughs> winter's coming man winter, winter's winter, coming winter arrived today um and i know that winter arrived today because my office is maybe 600 degrees fahrenheit um the heat is now <laughs> on not to be confused with Fahrenheit 451, uh, no. which is a very popular uh, science fiction book from back in the day about uh, burning books. Yeah, Ray Bradbury, right? Yeah, very good. Nice, nice. Uh, you well know, done. You know there was a Commodore 64 game, Fahrenheit 451, that that I uh, that I played when I was like uh, seven years old, and it, I didn't I didn't really like it, but we had so few video games that it was one that I would. <laughs> that was one you would play. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> So, uh, yeah, so it's uh, uh, today is I don't know what it is outside, like 34, 35 degrees or something. And I, I don't I'm, you know, this is weather safety podcast. So we'll, we'll come back. Weather safety talk. Um, but uh, it, uh, it it's cold here and the, the heat is now on in my office, which is the opposite of what it normally is. Um, 
Oh, I, I, let me see if I can find my uh, thermometer here. Give you a, a real update, real time update. All right, so. Um, sometimes the heat or the air coming out of my vent, as I've uh, recorded on the podcast in the past, is in the 50s. Today it is 78.4 degrees. 78? Yeah, it's like Florida in my office. Well, I uh, my feet are very warm. I'm gonna. I'm just for the for the listeners here, Ben. I'm just gonna move the microphone, um, and, and then uh, so you can all tell uh, what's going on. Hold on, here, here. Oh, okay, it's a little bit of foley. Are you going? Are you on location, Don? Can you hear that? Yeah, uh, I can. I can. Well, I can hear you. What was that? That was. Uh, that's the. Uh, sorry, now my microphone is broken. Hold on. Hold on. Here we go. <laughs> okay. Yeah. This is professional podcasting, ladies and gentlemen. Um, that was. Uh, that's the space heater that I keep in my office um, because uh, it's sometimes uh, my office is uh, too uh, too warm, uh, too cold, too and cold. then I, I put the space heater on, and it makes it uh, makes it all good. So. Well, if if we could somehow switch. You know, because when it's 100 degrees outside, it's 50 in my office. When it's 30 degrees outside, it's 80 in my office. I don't know. I like We could make a model, Ben. I think with those two data points, we could make a model because all you need is two points to determine a straight line. Right, right. We just put a line through it. Um, oh, my gosh. I don't know. So, anyway, I know now that it's winter based on that. Um, and uh, and it's Thanksgiving. And I have I have Thanksgiving questions for you. Uh, well, before we do that, I have temperature questions for ooh, you. Ooh. How do you how do you not always know exactly what temperature it is outside? Because I always know this information now because it's on my wrist, right? I have one of the the complications I think they call it on the on the you, the watch face that I use on my Apple Watch has the outside temperature. I have that. I have that too. But you, but um, I don't always look at it. So sometimes I have to uh, like, yeah look at. I look at it all the time. I sometimes I like to know what it is outside right now. And sometimes I like to know what it's going to be later. So I use a different app well, that's, for that. That's, that's true. I use an app for that. Yes. Yeah. That's, that's a good, <laughs> um, I, I, um, yeah. So, so right now on my watch, it says it's 38 degrees Fahrenheit. I have a 99% charge, uh, on my watch, which is great. And 9am FST 113 just showed up at the bottom. So I'm on track. I'm on track for my day. Um, so I have stuff I want to talk to you about on Thanksgiving, but I don't want to do it yet. We're going to – it's a teaser. It's a teaser. Well, That's what they say. And speaking of apps makes me think of a great uh, 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 bit on a new show that we just started watching, um, which I have to recommend, and that is Tracy Ullman's show on HBO. And there is a, a character – and again, it's typical Tracy Ullman, right? It's it's just like all these weird people that she has in her head. Um, and one of them is an app developer who works in a coffee shop who has ideas for absolutely terrible apps. So um, <laughs> if, you, if you have access to HBO – uh, uh, watch uh, Tracy Ullman's show. It's it's good. It's not it's not great, um, but it's but it's it's growing on me. I think we've watched I think we watched like four episodes so far. But anyway, uh, it's uh, it's it's a lot of fun. And, and Tracy Ullman is just so uh, amazing at at her what she does and what she can do with her face and her voice. Uh, just really, uh, just uh, highly recommended. Um, I'll check it out. I I, I saw that uh, on the on the HBO Go app. And I thought it was like the old Tracy Ullman show. Like I didn't know it was current until you just told me that. I'm kind of no. I think the old one is called The Tracy Ullman Show, and this is called Tracy Ullman's apostrophe s show. 
<laughs> of course, that's I'm, I don't know how I confused that. I'm not sure how I could have misplaced uh, one for the for the other and thinking that they were in fact one and the same. <laughs> I just I don't understand. Um, so I, and maybe that's part of the joke. Maybe I missed the joke. Uh, I'm, I'll check and, it out. I, I like and, and but. And wh- I'm sorry, I have to keep talking for a minute here. So one more thing before I forget, because apparently I can't write things down or be patient. Um, the other thing that absolutely is my favorite thing now, it, well, alternately favorite and, and terrifying thing is on Sunday mornings, um, I immediately go to the Internet and I search for SNL cold open. And uh, I. <laughs> oh, so good, wasn't I, it? I it was it's just, uh, you know, it's I'm, I'm sad and happy and terrified all at the same time. So. Um, so I, I'll, I'm going to send you a link to something that you can watch later. Um, but there was a little bit of controversy, I would say, here. And it made some national and international news about um, our local broadcaster, WRAL. Um, because last week on Saturday Night Live, they um, uh, had an audio dump for almost all of the Dave Chappelle show. Dave Chappelle's show, not not to be confused with the actual Dave Chappelle show, um, uh, and, uh, and and got a lot of internet um, as the internet does. There there was a lot of response, um, and so they changed their policy specifically for Saturday Night Live. So they said um, that there were you know ten words that that you know not not to be confused with the George Carlin seven words you can't say on TV. There were ten words you can't say on WRAL. And uh, Dave Chappelle said some of those in his monologue and said some of them uh, in other skits. And so they, they audio dumped a whole bunch of stuff. And then they put together um, a uh, uh, hokey kind of response uh, saying, here, they changed our uh, language policy. So check it out afterwards. Um, I, I don't know. I'm, you know. I think that the, I don't watch network TV for the most part because I like that there are no... Um, audio dumps and and stuff like that. So I, obviously this does not fit. I, it's not how I w- would have uh, handled it in the first place. But I don't run a television station trying to uh, deal with advertisers for lots of reasons. I mean, but uh, anyway, they uh, they can't, they changed their their policy and put together this little cute little video um, on uh, on their response. Um, but yeah, Starnet Live's been uh, been. Uh, extremely relevant over the last uh, couple of months, and uh, and Baldwin's back, so now I'm I'm happy. I'm happy. <laughs> Every I now when when I see a Trump tweet, I read it in Alec Baldwin's <laughs> voice as Donald Trump. I can't help myself. Well, kind of like how Sarah Palin became Tina Fey for yes, me, yes. and how I I would just prefer to watch Tina Fey be Sarah Palin than Sarah Palin be Sarah Palin. So yes. Uh, um, so, so we got, okay. So a little bit of follow-up from me, uh, last, uh, episode, I think I mentioned, uh, that I was taking my children, uh, my Danny and I were going to take our kids to, uh, see a concert to go see, uh, the, uh, best band in all of Canada. Uh, and, uh, for one night, at least the best band in Carborough, North Carolina, uh, Sloan, uh, fr- friends of the podcast, I would say. I mean, just I've mentioned them multiple times, so I, I assumed that they're friends. And uh, it was it was awesome. It was so cool to take uh, my six and eight year old to a real rock and roll show and explain things like that's the set list, and that that it's that it's kind of fun that 
you know, because because they're you know the the roadies come out and they tape up the the set list on the floor and and Sam's like, what is that? It's like those are all the all the uh, songs that they're gonna play, um, and that at the end they, uh, Sloan played two sets and at the end of the first set. Um, the roadie came out and handed my kids who were right on, basically leaning on the stage, handed them two set lists and two guitar picks uh, and said, I'm not sure if you will make it to the end of the show, so you might as well have these now. Um, and, oh. Oh, so it was so cool. And then um, uh, one of the, uh, well, one of the singers and guitar players and songwriters for the band, Patrick Pentland, who um, I follow on Twitter, I... Uh, in, in a very, um, uh, I don't know what the, what the word is. I, I tweeted at him basically trying to suck up to him with a picture of my kids saying, will you play the song Losing California? Because that's their favorite song. And uh, in between their first set and second set, he walked over and said, are you the kids that tweeted at me? We're going to play that song right after uh, this break. Uh, and so they did, and, and my kids rocked out to it, and uh, into the whole show. Jack, we, we got to the end. Sam um, started to fall asleep by quarter after eleven. Uh, Jack did not want to leave, and uh, was was really pumped up. So we it, it was just I'm, it was not uh, an experience that I had ever had before, like taking someone to their first concert. And I mean, double double bonus that it was my own kids, but just to see them be mesmerized with the drums and the guitar and just like focusing in on what's going on, taking it all in. There's people dancing and singing and spilling beer all around them. Um, you know, the, probably the best place for a six and eight year old on a Wednesday night. Yes. It was dancing, awesome. drinking beer here. That's, that's marijuana smoke, son. Yeah. yeah. So there, it, there wasn't, there was not, I didn't, I, I did not catch any of that, but I was ready for what's that smell. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but it was it was just phenomenal. We we had such a great great time, um, and and they uh, they slept in on Thursday and didn't go to school until um, about noon. And but but all weekend they've talked about it. And I when I picked Jack up from school on Thursday night, um, he was like really I don't know he was really like happy and and bouncing around. And I said to him, I was like, have you been just, like, singing the Sloan songs in your head all day? And he's like, that's exactly what I'm doing right now. Like, I'm just remembering what was happening last night. Um, so they, they were captivated. It was so, it was so cool. And, um, and it made me um, wish, well, in, in a sense, I, I don't know how, like, their up, upbringing is going to be different from mine. Because my parents, I mean, would, like, for, for weren't, I mean, they're were, they were very much into music, but I can't. I can only remember my parents in my entire childhood going to two concerts. Um, they saw uh, Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, which makes my fam- my parents sound much older than they are. But you know, like uh, that 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 band from the late fifties, they they seemed to really really like. So they saw them, and I remember I was like maybe nine years old, and I had a babysitter, and, and I wanted them to take me, but it was not like a a possibility. And then they went and saw. Um, Roger Whitaker, who also makes uh, my parents yes. sound really old and um, dated, but um, anyway, the, but those are two. Like I, I remember that they went to these two things, and that was it. Those are the only concerts that I can can remember. And and I I would I guess I would have loved to have gone to them, um, but now I've now opened this door to my six and eight year old of okay maybe when there's a band that you really like, we'll all go see the, see this band and take it in. I. Um, and, and so, you know, I, I, from age 18 to 
or maybe I was maybe 16 to uh, 28 or so, I, I, I spent a lot of money going to concerts. And, and then I kind of, you know, got, had kids and, and that went away. Um, and so I wonder if that, like, phase shifts earlier for my kids. Because if they wanted to go, if I mean, if my kids got really into a band and they were 13 years old or 10 years old and they really wanted to go see them, I would totally take them. Um, you know, obviously Sloan is more for me, but they are interested in them. But I, I um, that was never, like, an option. I never really thought to say to my parents when I was 10, hey, I really want to go see New Kids on the Block. Will you take me? And... and and, and like full disclosure, I would have uh, liked to have seen New Kids on the Block when I was ten years old. Well, it's funny the the story that I have related to that, and I don't remember how old I was, but we could probably triangulate it and figure it out. And I think it was I had to have been fairly young because I couldn't have gone without parental accompaniment. But uh, but my, I still have very uh, clear memories of my mom taking me to a Harry Chapin concert at Ithaca College uh, because I was really into Harry Chapin. And I don't think I obviously I wasn't old enough to drive. And I don't think it was maybe you had to be 18 or, or accompanied by an adult. And so uh, we went to see Harry Chapin, which uh, which was was fantastic. That's cool. That and and did that like set you off on some concert bender for her? A, you know, what, did you did you say okay? I need I need to have more more of this. Not not especially the only other concert I have a clear memory of going to prior to going off to college was uh, when I was in high school. There was a well, that's not true. So. Uh, a big venue concert was, I think Seals and Croft were playing at, uh, at, at Cornell. And so we, I went as a, uh, high school kid to that. And then, but the other thing that I did, um, as a, a high school kid was on a very regular basis. There's a club, uh, in downtown Ithaca, uh, who, whose name is escaping me at the moment, but there was a band, uh, that used to play there all the all the time called the Zobo fun band. And so me and, and a bunch of friends from high school would, would on a regular basis, go and see, um, uh, Zobo fun band in downtown Ithaca. But other than that, um, uh, not really. Did you, do you play any instruments? Uh, I tried to learn to play guitar, uh, and was never very good at it. Mm, I'm like, I don't play anything. I didn't even try to play guitar. I, I bought a ukulele. And thought, oh, this will be my entry point into making music. And this is like not, I mean, this is maybe ten years ago, and and I just I don't know. It doesn't um, the the practice and then the like music reading music and translating that into where my fingers need to go does not it was not something that I was um, that I could do. Like it's not even that I was interested in it. I just didn't want. Like I just couldn't figure it out. Um, yeah. And I just, with me, the issue was I just, I never liked it enough to practice at it, to get good. It's like, I would go for lessons, but then it was like in between the lessons you have to practice. And I just didn't. And so, you know, like so many things, if you don't practice at it, you never get good. And, and, and you, the way you practice at it is either you like practicing or I know for many of my kids growing up, many of my friends growing up, rather, uh, you know, their parents would make them practice, you know, violin or piano or whatever, or whatever it was. And then eventually they, they got good at it, but, but there was no, there was no hook that, that drew me in. And I certainly didn't have an innate ability or, or the persistence uh, needed to, to really be, get good at it. Me either. I wish I, I wish I did. I wish I had, 
like had interest when I was a kid because it I don't know it seems like it's too it's too late now. I have, but you know, but you know, Ben, you know what you and I are really good at uh, talking, talking, Ben, and you know what we've discovered? <laughs> we, we make it. We're making a podcast, Ben. That's true. It's true. It's and, like, and it's that. Hard. And there and see there's and here's the thing, Ben. There's people out there that that are saying, "Oh, I wish I could talk and make a podcast." Oh, that's that's maybe that's true. Maybe that's I, you might be right. I so I had a conversation with our university chancellor, um, like like about guitar playing because he I was at this reception at his house and his house is not like you know going to someone's normal house. Like this is an entertaining house. It's like the White House. Um, uh, and, uh, he, uh, um, was t- like telling me that he, cause he, he'll get up on stage and play guitar, like serious, like rock and roll guitar, shredding, thrashing, as they say, um, at, uh, events. Um, and Scotty McCreary, who was, I think an American Idol winner. He's, he w- is from Raleigh and, um, he was, he went to NC state or at least is an NC state fan. I think he went to NC state. Um, anyway, so the chancellor and Scotty McCreary will do these things. And I don't know how we got talking about it, but um, he uh, – so the chancellor, his name is Randy Woodson. Randy was telling me that um, some days he'll just come home and he's got this, like, room in his house with a bunch of electric guitars. And he puts his headphones on and just, like, rocks out for maybe 45 minutes. And he's like, okay, now I can go to bed. Like, that's his that's his release, which I thought was so cool. And it wasn't like – um, I don't know. Hopefully, I'm not uh, telling telling tales out of school or anything. But it wasn't like he was like broadcasting this, you know, on a podcast or anything. Um, but it was it was this like really cool moment where he was like, "Yeah, this is this is what I do for for stress release." Um, and I because what had started this conversation was talking about hockey because he always rem- rem- um, remembers me as uh, as someone who is very interested in hockey and I play hockey and all that kind of stuff. And he, um, circular connection. He went to school in, uh, in Ithaca at Cornell, uh, it's sometime, I think in the late seventies and was, is from Arkansas and, you know, not every time he, he tells me, but we, uh, have talked about it in the past that, um, he, uh, did not know how to skate and then joined an intramural hockey team, uh, as a graduate student at Cornell and, and then learned how to skate. And he said very poorly. But, but anyway, I just, you know, I look, I, I, after having that conversation with him, I was like, I wish that I would go home and, you know, strum on a guitar or, or just, you know, thrash out to some heavy metal, uh, with headphones on. Cause I think that would be, would be cool. I go home and I, um, I watch hockey, <laughs> which is also a good stress reliever sometimes. So it's anyway, I would, I hope my kids get into that, uh, if they want, you know, that, that if they want to learn how to play an instrument that I, uh, will definitely uh, support that but but who knows anyway concert was great yeah and you know and it's funny i've met a couple of people professionally uh that do the same thing uh there's a guy who is a, a, a corporate quality manager at group den own uh called eves ray who's a, a frenchman who who does the same thing he's uh, he just like like that's what he does for fun as he plays guitar and it's uh it's it's great and i you know and i wish i wish i had a like a more artistic hobby but uh it's okay i'm making podcasts and yeah. uh you know i take the dog for a walk and that's uh, that's good enough yeah that works so, yeah exactly exactly um so so it's uh, it's we're so caught up. We have not done a podcast uh, like this because we. I mean, it's been most of 2016 that that we really focused on making sure that we were up to date on posting things. And so we are actually going to talk about Thanksgiving and post this 
before Thanksgiving. So it's timely. Whoa. Yeah, it's going to happen. I mean, it's going to happen. Blew my mind. I know. I know. So I need you to help me, though. I'm here. You're here. I have two. Th- I'm, I'm asking you two things today that are um, my work for me, but I want you to do the work for me. Uh, <laughs> and so. <laughs> And, so this and, and I will I will do whatever I can to help you as long as we are on Skype and uh, and I have my headphones on. I'll, yeah. I'll do whatever I can. That's that's all I want you <laughs> to do. Within those limitations. That's what I want you to do. OK, so I, you know, do, being that I do uh, food safety and extension, extension things, um, Thanksgiving is a natural lead for the world of the media. Um, you know, there's not a lot of news going on sometimes and you can, and it's, you can predict that Thanksgiving will happen because it happens every year. And, um, and so I'll do a bunch of interviews or, um, you know, put out a blog post or something on, on Thanksgiving and food safety. And a couple of years ago, maybe it's four years ago now, um, my friend Matt Shipman and I put together videos on, um, you know, safely making a, a Thanksgiving meal and turkey and leftovers and salad and cross contamination, all the all the best, all, all the best actions, all the best risk factors. And um, so we made some info sheets and and put that stuff out there. And then I've recycled that for a couple of years, and it's good. But this year, Ship at Matt Shipman asked me if I could put something together on stuffing or dressing or whatever it might be known in in your family, Don, or in other families, about the safe preparation of it. Because it's one that that we haven't spent a lot of time on in in the past. And so I've been working on a blog post over the weekend on safe preparation of stuffing. But I I want you to tell me, if you had the same challenge, what would you focus on? What would you, safe what stuffing? Would, yeah, what would your what would your blog post look like? What are you, things to worry about when it comes to stuffing preparation? Do you do you cook your stuffing inside the bird, Don? Do you cook it outside the bird? Do you use raw sausage or oysters as stuffing or dressing? If you would, what would you worry about? All that kind of stuff. So first of all, let me say that <clears throat> I don't like stuffing and I don't eat stuffing. Well. <clears throat> That is but not, that, but I, people I just want to be clear. I want to be clear that, that I have no vested interest in the accuracy of my answer because okay? <laughs> I am not going to eat uh, no, any stuffing. You're not um, sponsored by the stuffing industry. That's right. <laughs> Get stuffed. That's the, that's their uh, motto. Uh, they're going to have to run with that. Um, oh, and I, I should also say, so, so shout out to, to Matt Shipman and we'll link to his Twitter account, which I started following, uh, because you know, you're friends with him and he's, he's got a great, uh, great Twitter account. So, uh, he does. we should, uh, he says he, he writes about science, tell, uh, <laughs> he writes about, uh, science, tech and health. He likes food. He dislikes bullies and he has a book on uh, science PR. So, uh, yeah. So check out uh, Matt's Twitter and his book. Um, yeah. So stuffing. So I would say, like so many things in food safety, it comes down to temperature. And so I would say the single most important thing, whatever you do with your stuffing, is if you want to ensure that that stuffing is safe, you need to find a way to monitor its temperature. And I think for a number of years, the extension recommendation was not to cook the stuffing in the bird, right? To cook the stuffing outside the bird. Right. Um, now, that said, Again, let's use science, right? If you're going to cook it in the bird, that's okay, 
but you have to then monitor temperature. And so tip-sensitive digital thermometer inserted into the stuffing in multiple places to confirm that it is indeed at temperature. And if you can't assure that it's at temperature, then, you know, you've got a problem. In terms of you can put whatever you like in the stuffing. You want to put uh, raw sausage in the stuffing. You want to put oysters in the stuffing. No problem. But then you're going to have to check the temperature, again, in those oysters in the, the middle of those pieces of raw sausage. So, you know, do what you like um, is my motto when it comes to stuffing. Get stuffed and do what you like. Dude, um, that's a, a digital underground uh, song yeah, uh, the, for exactly. like the guys who brought, brought us the Humpty Dance. Exactly, because yeah. I'm down with the kids, yo. Yeah, you are. You um, are. Uh-huh, and, uh, but, again, it, so it comes down to temperature. And so, you know, I guess if I had to write it right here on the spot, that would be the approach that I would take. But also, you know, one of the things that's really interesting to me about stuffing, it, it is such a diverse product. And so there are so many different stuffing recipes, so many different ways that stuffing can be made. Um, I just I just find that that fascinating. And um, uh, so, you know, I would embrace that diversity. But I would say, again, it comes down to temperature. You've got to make sure that uh, it, it, it reaches temperature. And and what temperature? I can hear you getting ready to ask me. I don't know. Uh, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But but let's, you know, I would go to maybe a, a USDA website or an FDA website, and I suspect that they would tell us 160 or 165. And I realize that's an that's probably overprotective, but I'm good with that, right? So I, w- I would pick whatever the government recommendation is. And again, if, depending on the time that I had in the blog, blog post, I could talk about, well, where do those temperatures come from and why, you know, what does it matter and uh, assumptions about, and risk management versus risk assessment, blah, blah, blah. You've all heard this before because you've listened to the podcast. Um, but that's that's my my quick uh, put-me-on-the-spot answer to how I would write about stuffing. Well, perfect. Thank you. Um, yeah, so, you, I mean, you hit on all the stuff that, uh, that, that, I'm, that I have written about um, here. And um, I, I wanted – so the, the 165 and the temperature I wanted to talk about because this is where my, my thoughts diverge a little bit. Um, and, and I'm not sure exactly how to handle it. So, um, 165, you know, or let, let's just take that as, as the temperature if I'm going to stuff inside of, uh, of the bird of, you know, of my, um, inside, inside my, my turkey. And so I guess the thought here is there's going to be salmonella and campylobacter inside the cavity of that turkey. Um, as the turkey cooks, those juices are going to, and gravity, not just the cooking, but the juices are going to travel through the stuffing um, matrix and, and maybe put uh, a bunch of uh, salmonella and campylobacter in, inside. And, and so the, this is, this is the part, and, and I, couldn't, I actually couldn't find any data on this. So I'm, I'm good. I'm going with the 165. But I, my guess is if I put a bunch of salmonella and campylobacter directly into a stuffing mixture, I probably don't need to cook it to 165 to inactivate uh, or to get a, a seven log reduction. I don't know that for sure, but based on other types of matrices out there, I probably only need to get it to 135. So I don't know. I that's but I I just don't have any good data. And that it, it comes up to the second uh part of the of, of my first question to you which was if you were to cook stuffing and you liked it, would it be inside or outside the bird? And if it was outside of the bird, I think we could probably get away with uh cooking it to 135. But the way that you make stuffing is uh, at least the um the pre-prepared box of stuffing. You take a box, you uh put um, 
put the uh, bread uh, crumbs or bread slices or bread cubes into a royal rolling boil water uh, and then added some seasoning and then let all the water absorb into the um, inside the bread as you stir it up. And, and I, I can't think of cooking it outside of um, the, the bird. If you follow those directions of, of rolling boil that you're, that you're going to be in any situation where um, you're going to have any, you know, salmonella left in there. If it was in this dry, low moisture food at the start with the spices. So, so anyway, that's where like I, I I got a little nerdy as on the stuff that I was um, that I was writing, but I you know I, we I want to say that I don't think you need to cook it to one cook that stuff into one sixty five, even though that's where all the recommendations are, and just for exactly the reason that you said, it's like I don't think that it needs to be that high, but let's be conservative here because we don't have good data to say yes or no. Well, and I would say too. Again, you know, that's that's the problem with with this 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 nuanced way that we're we've been talking about of doing extension food safety communication. You know, for for many years now is, you know, you and and again, maybe it's sort of analogous to FISMA and uh, safe harbors, right? It's like if you don't know anything, if you yeah. don't know anything about the quality of your ingredients, if you don't know anything about anything, then you can do 165 and you'll be fine. If you have some gourmet artisanal bread, fancy stuffing, blah, blah, blah. Um, and you really, you are confident that you have good control of the process, et cetera, et cetera. Yes, you could get away with a lower temperature and then, but the details of that and the risk, the margin of risk or the estimated risk, you know, estimated margin of risk is going to be different. And again, and, and so you have kind of have two choices, right? You have, you have this number, you'll be safe or this number, it depends and it's complicated. And depending upon how much you know about the complexity and how much you're willing to, to tolerate, it depends. Um, you can, you can use a different number, but, but that, yeah, it's a, it's definitely a challenge. So is this, this, is this a piece that you've actually written or is this just in draft form? It's in draft form. It hasn't been published yet. Um, so I'm going to complete it this afternoon and, and put it up and Matt's going to put it on the, uh, NC state, uh, abstract, um, page. Uh, but I mean, you're, you're hitting on all the points that, that I, um, that I've written about here, uh, which is let's, let's look at, uh, thermometer use and, and, you know, something early on that you said on sticking it into different parts of, uh, of the stuffing, because I, I could see in a situation, actually, I mean, I've encountered this in my own uh, roasting of, the, of a turkey where my, my turkey meat itself um, may be getting very close to 140, 145, but the internal cavity where the stuffing is right, um, right in sort of the deepest part away from the cavity opening, I may only have that, that stuffing at that point up to 110 or 115 degrees. Um, like it, it just hasn't, uh, the, the temperature hasn't risen uh, very much. Um, and so like knowing that is, um, uh, piece is, is something that I, that I kind of focused on that it's, I, I, you know, I think people want to, um, just make their Thanksgiving dinner and then not have to think about this stuff. But for those who are a little bit interested in it, I want to give them something a little more than, Hey, cook your stuffing, cook your stuffing outside of the bird to 165 degrees Fahrenheit. I really like, I really like, you know, that's why we do this podcast is for the messiness of this. Right. And I would, I would say too, if you're, what's your objective in cooking it inside the bird? If your objective in cooking it inside the bird is flavors, well, 
guess what? As your turkey is roasting in the oven, you should be generating drippings in the bottom of that pan, which are very safe, right? right so just right. take some of those drippings. If you want that flavor of the turkey in the stuffing, take some of those drippings and just ladle them over the uh, you know, after after the turkey gets up to temperature and after the, the, the drippings get up to, you know, you know, 165, take some of those drippings and ladle them out and put them on the stuffing. That's going to give you probably just as good, if not better, flavor development. Um, and then you'd get around this cold complexity of, of why you would put the stuffing in the bird in the first place. Right. And for, for me, the reason why I stuff why I stuff the bird is actually not about flavoring that um, that stuffing. It's for moisture reasons. That that I find that the if if I and, and actually find the same thing if I'm roasting a chicken versus roasting a turkey just on a, a, a different scale, um, having something that's going to either generate moisture or capture moisture in that cavity gives a much more moist um, meat uh, throughout the you know when, when you're done. So if I'm roasting a um, a chicken, I use you know now we're into a cookbook safety talk, Don, but. Um, I use the uh, Barefoot Contessa's uh, Ina, Ina Garten <laughs> oh, recipe. Oh, I love Ina Garten. I know. Just, and, and, and you know she has a, uh, a new show coming up called uh, Cooking for Jeffrey. Jeffrey, the, um, her uh, always missing husband, which is, becomes a running joke in my, in my family. Um, so she, uh, her, her recipe or one of her recipes for roasting a chicken is um, uh, onions and lemons and just like shove those inside the, uh, the cavity. And it provides some, a little bit of onion and lemon flavor to the, to the meat, but it, it's just with it, having that solid or not solid, but semi-solid piece in the middle I think it stops the cooking from the inside process with so and and to like it ends up being much more moist in my in my experience. That's why I do it, and and we absolutely in my family we love stuffing and not dressing like sausage meat. And I actually had never heard of oyster dressing until Ship and I started talking about this last week. Um, but we, we eat a lot of it. So I will stuff the bird with a bunch of it and then I will make an, an, an entire additional package outside of the bird because we'll go through that much as we go over the course of our leftovers and, and turkey eating. It's, it, it, this is fun. This is complex. Like this is the conversation I wanted to have with you today. I'm glad. Oh, I'm so glad. Oh, so I got something else for you. Sure. Um, Actually, I have two more. I got I got three things. I haven't even put anything in the Dropbox, but I want I'm gonna make you. I, I I have something else to do tonight. Something that I want you to do my work for me again. It's it's not playing hockey, is it? No, no. I have to do that tonight too. But I'm good. I've got that covered. <laughs> okay. At six at six p.m. or six thirty p.m. tonight, I am going to Goldsboro, North Carolina, um, which is about sixty miles uh, from here. And I am speaking to uh, a a group uh, of uh, folks in the agricultural community in Wayne County, North Carolina, as part of the Farm City, Farm-City Week Banquet. And this is an annual conference, um, their uh, annual event that they have, and they get about 250 people, and it's you know, uh, farmers and people in the food industry um, and people who are just interested in food and local foods. And I have 20 to 30 minutes to talk tonight. And Don, I don't know what to talk about. <laughs> so 
I don't, I, I have, um, I, I, I've given a very uh, generic uh, title, which you're going to love. Tales from Barf Blog, Lessons in Food Safety. <laughs> and, Excellent. And I'm going to talk for 30 minutes. But if you had 30 minutes with 250 people today, what would you talk about? Well, tell me again, because um, I, I was busy. I was busy googling uh, Goldsboro, North Carolina, um, which is best known as the home to the Seymour Johnson Air Force Base, and the mayor is Chuck Allen. Uh, so yeah. I, I know that. Um, but tell me again, um, who who are you expecting in the audience? Uh, I'm I'm expecting um, uh, farmers. I'm expecting uh, those who support the agriculture and food industry. Um, I'm expecting some uh, FFA students um, and uh, folks that are, you know, friends of uh, friends of Cooperative Extension in, in the county. So, you know, people that are involved in agriculture and food. So this isn't the, you know, uh, a talk at the North Raleigh um, uh, Library. I think these are these are folks of people in the know, um, at, at least people in the know that are in the world of food production and and food and and are. Maybe the people let me that are that think, uh, and I'll, I'm going to make a generalization here, but which is which are always uh, it's always good to do this. Um, people that that are in, in the audience, I think, are folks that are that think, you know what, people around the U.S. don't know enough about what goes into food production, and and if they only knew about what you know what it was like to be a farmer or what it was like to be in agriculture, they may make better decisions or different decisions with their purchasing. So the, that the audience, I think, is. Folks, that's the way that I'm coming at this. These are folks in the agricultural world that that um, that refer to consumers in air quotes uh, a lot as not knowing a whole lot about food. Okay, I I think um, what I would do the the idea that came to me is, um, and if you had a, a choice, if you could insert a subtitle, um, oh, I, I can do uh, you know, I, I can tales do from Barf Blog. I can um, do whatever I want. I mean, uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> I would say a tale of two outbreaks, and I would talk about Jensen Farms and Peanut Corporation of America, okay, because both have agricultural roots, and I would say Jensen Farms is an example of a couple of guys that were trying to do a good job and ended up making some people sick and 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 killing people, but that were basically good guys, okay, and then – I would contrast that with Peanut Corporation of America, who are a bunch of crooks who ended up killing people, I think, and went to and, and are going to go to jail or have gone to jail. And so, I, you know, and it's not and I, I think, too, it's not like half the people out there are Jensen and half the people out there are Peanut Corporation of America. It's probably ninety nine point nine percent are like Jensen. But I think, you know, Peanut Corporation of America is is very important to talk about because these guys were just bad actors. But Jensen, the Jensen Farms guys, they were good guys, and they just got caught up doing something they they didn't know about and that they didn't think about, and ended up making people sick. And so, um, you know, I think, and you could, and I think that there's a lot to be learned. And 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 my sense is that neither one of those operations. It's not like it's not like a big company, right? My sense is that both of those companies, well, maybe American, 
uh, Peanut Corporation of America was, was relatively big. But but these are not like name brands that anybody knew, right? These were just sort of small players or medium-sized players in the food industry. And so um, I think that you could make – and again, you don't have a lot of time, uh, but I think you have enough time to talk about the, the, the similarity between the outbreaks and then important differences. So that's that's what I would do uh, given the, um, the, <laughs> the limited amount of time I've had to think about this. And I think you, I think, yeah, <laughs> right. Holy, my, uh, you did it. My bell is at home, but I would, I would ring it otherwise. Um, but yeah, so, uh, yeah, so that's my, uh, that's my, uh, that's my, uh, uh, suggestion to you. Brilliant. I, I have nothing. I'm, that's what I'm going to do. That's a great idea. That's a fantastic idea. I, uh, I think that, um, I, I've not, I've not placed those two, um, outbreaks sort of back to back. I, I, I do have, a, a, a bunch of material on on cantaloupe that I've used in the past, but mainly talking about um, uh, f- focusing on listeria risks as it relates to what do you tell consumers once you cut it, and um, but but you know as you said, sort of saying here's here is a company that was growing that really knew their production and missed some stuff or. Um, uh, missed a few things or didn't quite know about food safety risks as it, as it explicitly related to water and their uh, cleaning and sanitizing of their machine. And, and it was new, relatively new uh, pathogen um, food uh, combination, but, but had it been, you know, more like, you know, it had, had salmonella shown up, we, we could have had the exact same, uh, conversations. The newness about listeria doesn't really matter so much with the um, w- you know, with the story. And then, as you said, contrasting that with with someone or with a group of individuals who ran a company that just had blatant disregard for food safety, and and really probably because they didn't think they would get caught um, in, w- having uh, an outbreak. Uh, and and and, he, and and like you said, the criminal aspects. I think this is great. This is a home run. I'm doing it. I'm I'm I've got. I got material. I can tell these stories. Don, awesome. You're thank you. This, this you're welcome. This that was that that was huge. Thanks. I'm just going to call you whenever. And now, <laughs> and and now I'm going to um now, now you're going to find your name uh, making its way into this. Maybe. Oh, excellent. Yeah, it's, it's good because I need I need I need more publicity. You need uh, more exposure for uh, Freddie Schaffner, uh, <laughs> Joe Schaffner. Oh, that was awesome. Um. So I got I got two more I got two more things on my list that I want to talk about before I'm going to turn this over to you so you can talk okay. about whatever you want. Uh, okay. One one's quick, uh, uh, relatively quick, and I'm going to leave it for the last thing. But so I'm going to talk about something that was super cool that I was part of this weekend, um, and uh, there's some pictures up on Twitter. I post on Facebook, and I'm. Um, uh, have a draft post, draft blog post uh, that I'm working on. But uh, over the last six or so months, we had this idea of creating an event at a NC State football game, this temporary event idea where we would give away thermometers. And I mentioned this in a couple of previous podcasts that we were pulling this stuff together. Um, and the event was uh, this past Saturday. And we had this massive tent and uh, and I say massive, it was like 20 feet by 40 feet. And we snaked people through this tent around um, so a couple of stations of grills and a station on cleaning and sanitizing and a station on hand washing. 
And at the end, we gave people free hamburgers that were irradiated. And at each of these steps, um, it was a conversation with uh, five or six or eight people at a time where I, um, some of my students and some of our collaborators, John Lachansky and Anna Portafet, came and joined us for this, where we really got to um, have have these like you know I think more impactful than a brochure type of conversations with people about food safety uh, around thermometer use and, and grilling specifically, um, and it was the coolest thing like to to uh, be part of this idea to seeing it to fruition. We gave away somewhere around 700 thermometers um, and about um, just around 500 um, uh, hamburgers. And, and in a two hour period, we talked to like 500 people um, and, 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 got, and they got their hands on thermometers. Like, I mean, literally standing over a grill, sticking their sticking a thermometer in, looking at the temperature, being there with someone who does this kind of stuff, and you know, I guess focuses on the importance of it, and then be, for us to be able to um, give them uh, really just to talk to them and, and give them this like memory, not not in the sense like oh, what a crazy crazy event, but you know, I, I, the the goal was to have some sort of long term sustained thermometer use behavior change, and and so this we we you know, we wanted to try this in a in a way where. Um, where there are real people doing real things, and you could do this hands-on uh, situation right before uh, uh, you know, uh, a football game, and it was, it was just so cool. It was like it, it, it worked. At least what we envisioned worked. We did collect um, some uh, uh, preliminary um, data before people went through this uh, this event on their self-reported thermometer use, and then we also have a. I don't know, I haven't looked at the final numbers, maybe 300 or 400 people provided their email addresses. So we're gonna follow up with them um, with another um, self-reported survey down the road to see if they're still using these things. So, but it was uh, it was cool. So I just wanted to give a shout out to, um, there was like 20 people that were a part of this. One of my uh, colleague, Dana Hansen in Food Bioprocessing Nutritional Sciences had in his crew, they cooked all the burgers, talked about irradiation, gave away the thermometers. Um, and then my whole uh, group, there was there, like all in told, there's like I don't know, 30 people that that helped out with this, and it was super cool. So it was we had a really good time. Awesome, and well, and and I, I would also mention too, um, we talked about this before on on the last episode, right. right? That you were going to do it, and I'm glad it went well. And I saw you had pictures on on Facebook, and uh, yeah, so nice nice work. Uh, yeah, big big shout out to the team. So that's that's fantastic. It was cool, and and I we'll we'll see if it works. I mean, I the, like I said in the last uh, episode, the the idea is that maybe we've come up with a model on how people could do this at all these other you know t events, tailgates or whatever. Um, and, and, and we're going to, you know, collect data to see whether it's, it's an intervention that's worthwhile. It's, you know, it seems to me after looking through being familiar with the literature on behavior change, that, that being able to experience something like this should, um, you know, be compelling. It should be, uh, something that, uh, um, that, that leads to, to behavior change, but we're going to measure it. Who knows? Who knows if it, if it works? Um, and we're going to try and roll this this out to a couple other places over the next year or so. We're um, we're uh, 
thinking of going to, to two or three other universities or, or other events. So, I mean, shout out to the podcast uh, listeners. If you think that this is the type of event that you want to host at one of your days to promote food safety, um, and, and A, if you want just like the, the materials and methods list on how we did it, I'd be happy to share that. If you want um, us to, to come like do it, I'd be, uh, let's, let's talk. So um, anyway, it was, it was, it was a lot, of, it was a lot of fun. It was heartening at the end of the day to sort of look around and be like, I think we actually like pulled this off. Um, and, and it was, it, it took more planning um, than I had anticipated. I always just think that these things happen. Uh, and w- an undergrad student who I mentioned on the last um, podcast and, uh, her, her name's Mary Yavalak. She um, really took the reins for this for this project and like pulled it all together, um, and then had help from lots of other folks, uh, Katrina Levine and Natalie Seymour and um, Chris Rupert, who put together all these barriers for us, um, and uh, Min Duong. I mean, there are just so many folks on uh, in, in my group, um, Savannah Everhart, that all like really. Um, came together and said, okay, let's, let's actually put this together. So it was super cool. Anyway, I'm done. I'm done gushing. Excellent. Well, good. Well, thanks. Thanks for sharing that. So, um, so I've got a bunch of things that I had put in the Dropbox to, for us to talk about, and I don't know, I don't know how much we're going to have time to get to, but let me, let me start with, um, this, uh, article that I saw in Slate, which has a, uh, particularly clickbaity headline uh, entitled California's single mom may do jail time oh, yeah. for selling ceviche on Facebook. And so I will, uh, I will read from the, I will read from the, uh, the slate article and then I would like to get your perspective. So um, uh, imagine how, I'm oh, sorry, this is my uh, reading from slate voice. Uh, imagine how full, how full, I'll, I'll, yeah, if I can only, only I could <laughs> talk, imagine how full our already overcrowded jails would be if every vendor of Bluebird bake sale muffins got collared for selling illegal food stuff from elementary school gymnasiums. Imagine how many millions of dollars we'd have to funnel into the carceral system. I guess that's the system that where you incarcerate people, the carceral system to accommodate the influx of juveniles running lemonade stands, elderly women selling jams at county fairs, and every perpetrator involved in nefarious church basement spaghetti dinners. Um, anyway, so. Wait, wait, don't stop there because this is actually the next line. This is, this the, world. is the world envisioned by law enforcement officials in California's San Joaquin County who arrested Maritza Reulas, a single mother of six, for selling a plate, a plate, a mere just, plate. Just man, a plate. Just a taste. To someone through a food sharing Facebook group in sting operations last <laughs> December, an undercover investigator contacted Reulas to buy a seafood dish uh, through the 209 Food Spot page, a group used for selling to, for people in the 209 area code to share recipes, set up potlucks, and facilitate one-off sales of homemade food items. Now, Realist is preparing to stand. Anyway, you can read yeah. you can read the article, but um, you know it's just Two, it's, and, and let's see a little bit obnoxious, uh, uh, and not not just if you read it in my voice, but um, yeah. So and, what do you, so what do you think about this, Ben? Well, I think that uh, you uh, characterize the clickbaitiness of this uh, very uh, well because uh, if you go to the original uh, article that uh, also talks about mom facing faces jail time it, I mean it's it's two counts of misdemeanor that could be uh, lead to jail jail time I you know I don't think that any way that people are gonna um, uh, end up in, in jail for something like this but 
is, is this something that, you know, we have laws out there as it relates to health departments and selling food for lots and lots of good reasons. Like people get sick and die. And um, it, having caterers or uh, individuals who, um, who, who sell food without the proper risk management steps, and, and you and I know from a, you know, a, 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 something like this, someone who's following the food code, that they've got um, some basic form of food safety understanding, that they've got the right equipment, that they're keeping things at the right temperature, that, and in this case, when it comes to ceviche, that they are letting people know who are buying it that there might be a risk associated with consuming raw or undercooked foods, all the stuff that we would expect at, um, at restaurants uh, is, it, to me, I mean, I don't, I think it's a. I think it's. Uh, it, it should be against the rules for, uh, for lots of reasons. I mean, I I, I feel like I, so. Last week, I gave a talk at um, our annual extension conference about selling foods from extension centers, and uh, similar kind of stuff where like a 4-H club might want to you know make some jams and jellies and sell it and. Um, I, I, you know, I kind of gave them the same spiel as what we're talking about here is, yeah, you might be really good at making this stuff, but it's once you get into the world of selling it, now you're a commercial food business. It doesn't matter whether you're a mom of six and uh, working out of your home or your McDonald's. I mean, the, the same consumer protections need to, um, need to apply because how is the buyer supposed to know whether this person is, is able to manage food safety or not? And, and and when you go to the farmer's market, Don, when I go to the farmer's market, when we go to the, the uh, grocery store, whether it's like Wegmans or Aldi's or whatever, I mean, you name name 10 different retailers, I don't, or when I, whether I go to a restaurant, I, I don't want to go through this conversation in my head of, is it going to make me sick or not? I have an assumption that it's not going to make me sick because it's a commercial food and that someone's paying attention to food safety. And I think that's what that's what this is all about, right? It's that Facebook pages um, where you sell food, and I'm going to send you a screenshot of something in a second that exemplifies this, that um, you just need to know that someone's following the rules. Right. And, 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 and also, just to make this more complicated, um, in many cases, we don't yet have rules. So I'm right. uh, sitting on a conference for food protection committee that is basically coming up with best practices for mail order foods. Now, I realize that this may not have been mail order, right? This is all local people and, and whatnot. But, but the basic idea is that anybody these days, Ben, anybody can create a website and start selling stuff. And that, believe it or not, I, this is going to, this may not blow your mind because we've talked about this before, but it blew my mind when I realized that the really the rules for this are not clear, right? So yes, if I'm making food to sell to someone, um, uh, I'm covered under my state food code. But what happens when I take that food and I put it in a container and I send it to somebody else in another state? Well, theoretically, that falls under FDA jurisdiction. But I can tell you that that you know it's just. It's really there's a lot of question marks, right? In terms of well, sir, first of all, there's there's room for definitely writing some best practices, but aside from that, it's the 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 rules on this are are indeed quite uh, quite ambiguous. Um, and then the other thing too, just to I mean, you know, 
I appreciate that Slate needs revenue and they need to generate interesting headlines and, and whatnot. But um, what the article fails to do, I think, I mean, based on the part that I read, is to differentiate between the risk from a blueberry muffin, a lemonade stand, and ceviche, right? Yeah, these absolutely. are these are foods. Um, muffins, very low risk. We know um, for many uh, states that do have cottage food laws, and again, we've talked about cottage food in the past. New Jersey does not have a cottage food law, but Pennsylvania does. Um, but guess what? Cottage food laws exempt certain low-risk businesses. And certainly baking blueberry muffins is a low-risk business. Having a lemonade stand, it's a relatively low-risk business. Ceviche, not so low-risk, right? And uh, we've actually got uh, one of the few published articles on ceviche. And the good news is, is that uh, cooking with lime juice uh, does a pretty good job of getting rid of Vibrio, um, not such a good of job of getting rid of salmonella. And so if I was going to go into the the commercial uh, ceviche business, um, I would want to be really sure that I was sourcing fish that was salmonella free, right? Because otherwise that is a, a significant risk because the, the lime process uh, that I'm applying, uh, the lime juice process that I'm applying to that ceviche, at least based on the processes that we studied, which are all over the map, if you go out on the internet and you search for ceviche recipes, they're, they're quite varied. Um, based on the recipes that we found, um, not so good at killing salmonella. And so this is definitely a, and then that doesn't even talk about uh, temperature abuse, right? Um, and the potential there, if you, especially if you get inadequate acidification. So, so this is a risky food product that would need to be handled carefully. I, you know, I'm I know about food safety. I I would gladly, if I had to open up a, a bakery tomorrow, I would gladly sell blueberry muffins, no problem selling lemonade. I would really think carefully about whether I wanted to open a ceviche stand because that is a risky, risky product. Right, and I would want to make sure that if I'm buying ceviche that I know I'm buying it for someone who's um, getting that fish from uh, an approved supplier, meaning someone that's following seafood HACCP if it's a, uh, um, a, uh, a seafood processor or someone that's at least handling that, um, that, that incoming fish uh, correctly for temperature abuse so I don't end up with any, like, um, histamine production for uh, what is the... Uh, Oh, what is it? You know what? You know what I'm Scombro talking about? Sc scombroid Scom fish. Yeah, yeah. I don't want any scrombotoxin. Nope. Do you? Nope. No, nope. nope. I do not. I don't want any of that. Uh, I just sent you texts of two <laughs> awesome uh, pictures from you know my the ongoing uh, your favorite your favorite your favorite website on the internet the Wake Forest Community Information uh, <laughs> whatever it's called. Yeah. Yes. Um, so I'm curious: is there anywhere nearby where I can take my turkey and get it deep fried? I know some people in Alabama who live near a guy who does this every year for a fee. Interesting question, right? So we're yep. talking about a service provider who is going to fry my turkey that I'm going to own. Does this, you know, how do we know that the turkey's done to the right temperature? I don't, I actually don't know much about deep frying turkeys and, and temperature, but, but here we go in a situation where someone's going to pay, I'm going to drop my turkey off. You're going to deep fry it. I'm going to pick it back up. I got a whole bunch of confusing things that I need to do when it comes to temperature control. And, and I'm worried about cross-contamination because maybe this guy's got nine different turkeys that he's deep frying that day and he's got 15 different deep fries, whatever. I don't know. And then my favorite one, which is just an ongoing um, type of food sale uh, in the Wake Forest area is a picture of someone's kitchen with what looks like about 50 different um, pints of Brunswick homemade Brunswick stew, which you can buy for $8. And, Don, I really worry about the cooling of this uh, Brunswick stew. Or well. If, or if they're but selling here's, it hot, I don't know. 
But here's the thing, Ben. This is apparently posted from a, a Facebook account called Cowboys Clipper Classic Barbershop. So I'm sure they meet all the health and safety regulations for barbershops. How much more complicated could food be? It should be the same, right? The inspector comes <laughs> by. Uh, it's just – like, but this, so we, yeah, and, and, and this picture of Brunswick stew shows these Brunswick stews stacked up <laughs> in what is, what is clearly a way that it's going to impede cooling. Um, so I'm, uh, you know, anyway, uh, apparently Ben, it is knock your socks off. Good. <laughs> it's not, it's knock your socks off perfringens. Yes, exactly. Um, but so, I mean, this is, this, this is exactly the, 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 the thing we, we talk about this in jest. I, I, I have talked. Oh, I'm, to... I'm, I'm, I'm jesting, but man, I, this is scary shit. I'm it just, is. Pardon, you'll, have to, you'll have to cut that out. Oh my gosh, we'll have to figure that out. Um, it's a scary ship here, uh, and <laughs> yes, exactly. And so, but here's the here's the thing that that we that we look at here is there, oh, this is only going to increase, right? Like this is yeah. um, we're not we're we're not even seeing the tip of uh, people being able to exchange food using the internet. And gosh, uh, a really famous one. Uh, for me, famous in my mind, not famous like nationally, was uh, a situation that your 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 friend and my friend Joel Eifert, or I'm not sure if you'd met Joel before CFP uh, this past year, but Joel nope. uh, told me a story about um, two people in Virginia who died from botulism, uh, and they were uh, part of a kimchi exchange group. And uh, the kimchi was shipped uh, from, you know, so no, it wasn't, wasn't commercial. People just like make some good kimchi and let's share it around. And, you know, like a cookie, uh, cookie exchange, bring, you bring your, your kimchi and, uh, and then I'll, and then you get 10 different types of kimchi. Well, uh, a person 10 in different types of botulism. Yeah. A person, a person in uh, um, uh, New York made some kimchi, uh, canned it. Uh, and sent it down to uh, Virginia, and the kimchi did not have a full fermentation, or it was at least lightly fermented, so pH was above five. Um, and uh, these these folks ate uh, ate kimchi that that killed them. And wow, yeah. So I mean, th- this is the thing. Yeah, it's cl- it's clickbaity, but we we do have these rules for for a reason, and. It's you know we, you and I have debated the science based nature of the food code and um, not debated but talked about how for the most part there's a lot of good science in there um, and sometimes there's some questionable stuff that that people try to change over time but um, we we have the rules for a reason is to make sure that people don't die from kimchi and and it doesn't really matter that this is a a really well meaning individual. And, and and even if it's a really well-meaning individual at a um, at a church bazaar or someone who's doing it for a, a, a fundraiser, we still have to have folks that know how to manage food safety. And I and my this is the part that I think is really hard. I look at this Cowboy Clippers classic barbershop picture. This individual or these individuals clearly know how to make Brunswick stew. And if you and I went there and said, you know what, we love your Brunswick stew, the way that you've got this stacked up, there's no way that it's going to cool uh, or, or it's not going to cool correctly or the ones that are in the middle aren't going to cool and you've got a risk, they would just look at us and say, you food safety nerds are ruining all of our fun, right? Like that's right. That that's part of the, uh, the challenge uh, here is, is that e- these folks know – 
they're, they're good at food. They're good at making food. They may not be good at food safety, and it's a and it's a challenge for us to to convince them of that. Well, and here's the thing: you may make a great Brunswick stew in your kitchen, but the risk factors change when all of a sudden you are now, and this is why they we have problems with church dinners, right? Because people are real have you know practices that are marginal, but but you know the risk is managed in their own home because of the way that they're doing things. Um, but when you scale that up to something much larger, um, uh, you know, like in a church kitchen where now cooking becomes rate limiting or cooling becomes rate limiting, now you have different risk because of physics, Ben, and and and, and the interaction of physics with biology and this is uh this is a problem potentially <laughs> because of physics yeah sure. <laughs> because of physics <laughs> because physics yeah no it's i mean yeah absolutely this it's uh it, it's something anyway so i appreciate the clickbait i think this is a good conversation we're only gonna have more of these conversations and people and and people will get sick from this kind of stuff and and someone might might die at some at some point or already has died and we just haven't heard about it and there's um, you, you know, it's just a different way to connect people. So the, so the, the conversation is on the consumer side, sort of buyer beware. And if it's not a commercial food place, you know, maybe ask some questions about what are you going to do if, with my Brunswick stew and how are you controlling, um, you know, perfringens, uh, in the, in the stew. And if they can't answer that, like, and literally, I mean, I would ask that question and if they can't answer it, I probably wouldn't buy stew from them. Yeah, I would have to agree. Um, good, nice. All right, so so while, let's. I was going to talk about something else different, but while we're talking about physics, let's let's talk about uh, uh, physics and food safety and and droplets in particular. And this is this. So I had a couple of I had a couple of brushes with greatness this past week. Okay, Ooh. and I'm going to talk about one of them. Okay, so so I'll but I'll, I'll announce all three. So the 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 first brush with greatness was I got an email from uh, Harold McGee yeah. the, uh, on food and cooking guy. So that's awesome. Uh, number two, uh, Ricky Gervais favorited one of my tweets what? so what? I'm, I'm awesome with that well it was i was in response to him um and so what he's he's posted he posted a link to a tumblr that was basically um photos of david brent and donald trump in identical poses <laughs> and and my response back to him was uh, david's hands are bigger <laughs> which uh which he favorited so thanks thanks for that ricky I, I know he's a big fan and he listens um and then uh also trump related uh john gruber who runs the daring fireball website um had been rather quiet about about trump and i know he's got an interest in politics and he posted a bunch of stuff on the weekend about trump and i just sent him a note saying you know i i'm not going to tell you how to run your blog um, but I really do appreciate, you know, your, your, your linking to these stories. And he just sent me a, a really nice response saying, thanks. I, I appreciate the feedback. And I took me a while to kind of get my, to get my, I forget, I, I could look up the email, but I won't take, but something about like I had, it took me a while to find my feet on this. And I think I have now. So, uh, so thanks to, thanks to John. Uh, I, again, I'll also, uh, I, I'm sure he's a big fan of our podcast and he listens, but, yeah, uh, shout anyway. out to... <laughs> but Anyway, back to back to yeah, shout out to Ricky Gervais and John Gruber. Yeah. Um, but back to Harold McGee. So so and this is all because of Carl Custer, because hey Carl. Um so so Carl had been in discussions with um Harold about um uh uh, uh washing and cross contamination and and so um uh and I, I won't go too much into the details because I don't think it's relevant, but um Apparent. So a number of years ago, Jen Quinlan, who works at Drexel, who's a Rutgers grad, so shout out to, to Jen Quinlan. Shout um, out to Jen Quinlan. She's awesome. 
She is. She did an awesome uh, bit of public relations about washing your chicken and why you should not wash. And this is apropos Thanksgiving, too. Same for turkeys. You shouldn't wash your chicken um, because it can splatter germs around your kitchen. And I really I thought she had done some actual research on this. It turns out she'd not. She'd done some survey work. I mean, and that's yes. that's I, I don't mean to impugn the research. She, I thought she had actually measured uh, splatter, but it turns out she had not. So she had she had done some survey work that indicated it was a common practice. She worked with uh, our, our good friends at New Mexico State University um, on a really awesome video, which we will link to uh, in the show notes here on uh, on sort of you know a cartoon visualization of that risk. Um, but it turns out there is. V- actually no quantification of this particular data. Now, there is a um, something that came from, where did it come from? It came from Camden. Camden. Oh, Chipping Chipping Camden. Yes. Where? Yeah. Non-peer-reviewed research where they basically took chicken, they put red dye on the chicken, and then they washed the chicken and they looked at the spread of red dye. And, and, you know, it's it's not peer-reviewed. It's not the most clear presentation. It's mixed in with a bunch of other data, which, again, nothing nothing wrong with that. The folks that get uh, Chipping Cam to do good, good research, um, and it's, it's apropos and relevant. Um, but uh, but Harold McGee said he tried to replicate that work. And, again, he didn't provide any data either, but but he had some difficulty, right? And so, um, so in the email conversation about this, I, I dug a little deeper because I was sure that I had seen something. And it even was sort of tickling my head that it had been something that uh, Tom Humphrey had done, who's a, who's a, um, a UK researcher, I think since retired. And we've actually, we've actually we t- published a paper with him. Did we um, talk about – was he part of the uh... – Salmonella and teratitis risk uh, stuff. Right. So he had for he had some unpublished data on the yolk membrane breakdown time, uh, which is relevant to salmonella in egg risk, which actually is the next thing we're going to talk about if we have time. Um, it, it, uh, and so he had done some work on that, but. But I was also sure he had done some work on kitchen splatter. Well, uh, digging around, it turns out um, he had done some work on this, but it wasn't washing chicken. What it was was a paper where you uh, he basically mixed in some eggs and, and mixed it in a in a blender and showed that if the eggs were contaminated with salmonella, you could get spread of the salmonella during that mixing process, which is like duh. Of course, it creates an aerosol. And and again, specifically the thing that that Harold was was happy to learn about because he actually went and read the article that I that I linked to or that I, that I shared with him. He said that um, uh, the important observation that Salmonella were detectable on surfaces that had not been reached by visible splashing. It, and this is still re- reading from Harold's email. It makes sense that invisible aerosol droplets would be involved in cross contamination, but that experiment demonstrates it. And so. Thanks to thanks to well thanks to Carl Custer of course because he's awesome and also for linking uh, looping uh, us into this conversation with Harold McGee and I'm I'm so glad I could be of some help to him he's done a, you know he's sort of like a uh, uh, I I consider him like a predecessor to Alton Brown somebody who really has taken the science of cooking and made it accessible to people so so thanks to thanks to Harold for the email back and I'm glad we could um, but so what do you um, 
you know, my comment to all of this is this is a research opportunity, right? So somebody ought to go out there and figure out like what the actual risk is from splashing um, and, you know, quantify some some risk from splashing. Um, and, and, and if I had more time or maybe someday I'll get around to this, but this I think this is an important research opportunity. So if anybody out there is looking for research ideas, um, you know, this would be really interesting to study. Um, how do you, uh, you know, could you design an experiment uh, with, uh, you know, splashing? Uh, you know, washing chicken and splash and spread of uh, Campylobacter salmonella or, you know, some marker inoculation organism. So I think there's, there's, there's definitely a need for some quantification uh, risk, out, risk research out there. So I got, I've got some stuff on this. Oh. Um, I think there is another non-peer-reviewed paper that looks at uh, cross-contamination and um, I will dig this up. I didn't have a chance to, to do this uh, in, the, in the short term. But there was some research that a group called Witch did that was witch? not. Yeah, Witch. Which, 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 which? Yeah, I think you're thinking of the sandwich company. Um, no, that, that was not um, uh, dye-based. That, okay. that, that was, uh, that looked at some sort of surrogate. If I if I remember correctly, and I'm going to see if I can um, if I can dig this up. It, it's okay. from uh, it, the Food Standards uh, Authority agents, Food Standards Agency in the UK um, commissioned some work on this, uh, and that was around Campylobacter. Uh, so this so anyway, I think there's some stuff out there, and I'm going to I'll dig that up that that helps answer that question with actual pathogens. Um, the uh, the other thing is we're doing some work for a group that I can't super talk about yet, uh, but that's going to involve observation. And this group has asked us explicitly for to measure this question um, in in observation kitchens. And what we're planning on doing it's going to be not not in 2017, but probably 2018, um, is to um, identify people in the community who self-report washing poultry or chicken or meat, bring them into uh, kitchens um, that we have control over and ask them to prepare poultry and or meat like they would at home and, and explicitly saying, please wash it like you normally would. And that that meat would have uh, a surrogate in it that we would be able to quantify and recover uh, from uh, parts of the kitchen if it's there. So that's so so we've got some plans to do to do that just not yet, um, and uh, the third piece is and uh, shout out to Angie Fraser on this maybe ten not quite ten years ago but not soon after I started at NC State Angie and I had a conversation about this very question and she posed a question that I think is also relevant that doesn't have the same type of data but you might have something on this which is okay washing my chicken. If there are pathogens on it at whatever level we assume, um, and, and it's going to aerosolize when I have a rushing water hit my hit my chicken, why do we not get aerosolization of droplets to the same um, magnitude or same problem at least uh, when I wash my hands? If my hands are really contaminated with uh, with pathogens and I'm spraying it, you know what makes my hands any different than chicken meat? And I didn't really have a good answer. For that, so so have you seen any of your work on hand washing, aerosolization off of hands to, you know, around a sink? 
Uh, my, well, my answer is uh, you probably do see the same degree of aerosolization. But remember, we have to think about denominators here, right? So what fraction of the time is your chicken contaminated with Campylobacter? Eh, a lot. Like, let's say the most recent numbers I can recall, 70%. What fraction of the time is your chicken contaminated with salmonella? Well, again, probably 20%, 10%, right? So a significant number. When you are washing your hands, what fraction of the time do your hands have pathogens on them? Not, not indicator organisms, right? Not, not fecal coliforms or E. coli, right? Generic E. coli, but pathogens. I would say unless you're actively sick with illness, I would say not very much. If you have a person who has uh, got norovirus diarrhea and they're washing their hands, I bet you dollars to donuts, if you went into that bathroom and swabbed, you would find norovirus, right? Absolutely. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I, so, so it's not that it doesn't happen. It's that we're talking about a low-risk scenario where most of the time people don't have pathogens on their hands. So, um, so yeah, so that, that's the answer. The answer is the, phys the physics are the same, right? The bacteria or the viruses are the same. They're going to aerosolize to the same degree. But not most of the time. And again, and this is this is a little bit of a uh, a wake up call for people or it's a, it's a mind shift for people. Um, yes, we wash our hands. It's a good thing, we, especially if we wash our hands after we poop. Right. But most of the time you don't have you might have poop on your hands, but you don't have pathogens on your hands. And so, that's that's the important distinction. Absolutely. Let me throw a little uh, twist to that. Let's say it's Thursday this week. I'm preparing my turkey. I'm going to do that with my bare hands as I take my turkey out of my packaging and I, you know, stuff it with my stuffing. You know, we'll come full, full circle on this podcast. Um, and then I, I would assume that I am going to have a bunch of Campylobacter on my hands or some salmonella. Like, like let's just say it, it's there. Now, now let's go through this, this uh, same conversation about washing my hands. Am I... And this is the part that that I you know I kind of the conversation that I had with Angie was all right so it's the let let's just assume it's there it's not after a, a restroom visit but I've done something where I'm likely to have contaminated my hands sure I don't know what the prevalence is but am I and should we be also talking about after you wash your hands in your kitchen sink after preparing turkey even if you're not washing your turkey, that you should do a good job um, cleaning and sanitizing in that, you know, three foot radius around around your uh, um, sink. And, and again, with the assumption that three foot is, is, is you know, based on what the uh, what Camden BRI looked at. Yes, and I and I, well, and we could, and I would say probably the the Humphrey paper on yeah. on egg batter is probably also relevant, and the distances may be may be comparable. Um, I would say that the short answer to that is yes, right? Um, and so let's think about this in terms of risk reduction. I've just handled the turkey. I've now got Campylobacter on my hands. What are my choices? Well, number one choice, not to wash my hands. Probably not a good choice because then I'm going to spread that contamination around the kitchen from my hands. All right. So let's say that the next the next possibility is I wash my hands. Okay, so now most of the contamination is going to go down the drain, okay? Some of it is going to aerosolize. It's probably less spread than if I didn't wash my hands. So overall, risk reduction is a, uh, a beneficial thing. But yes, absolutely, there is going to be some aerosolization. And I know um, with respect to Campylobacter, some researchers from 
the Netherlands as part of their um, uh, big Campylobacter risk assessment, they did some research looking at um, uh, having people come in and prepare salads and using a marker organism and, 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 you know, basically estimated cross-contamination. I don't think that they, they looked at like, you know, what fraction of the salads were contaminated. They didn't look at explicit roots of contamination, but, but anything, anything like that is going to be a root of contamination. And yes, the washing of hands and the aerosolization of microorganisms from the chicken that got on the hands into the kitchen environment, that is definitely going to happen. And again, probably there's, again, not to, not to make people absolutely crazy on this. There's probably some best practices in terms of how you could wash your hands, right? I would say um, it would be great to have some way to dispense soap onto your hands uh, without touching it with your hands that are contaminated with uh, chicken juices, but that's probably not going to happen in a home kitchen. It would be great to have a, a tap uh, that you didn't have to activate with your hands, uh, but that's probably not going to happen. Um, but um, maybe uh, not turning the water on, like blasting full force to generate aerosols, maybe maybe holding your hands uh, lower down in the sink, closer to the drain of the sink and not up in the air to, to again, to help to try to contain those aerosols. So there are Probably some some best practices out there, but again, in terms of in terms of risk and risk management, we don't really have uh, we don't really have good data. But but again, short answer is yes. The, you are going you are going to I suspect uh, best practice would would dictate that you're going to want to clean and sanitize that whole kitchen environment where you've been handling that turkey. Yeah, I, absolutely. I mean, I think that's the um, the way that I've I've approached it as well. But it's you know the the message uh, and, and not I'm gonna, like not faulting um, any of the messages that come out on this on washing washing turkey, I think, or hands or whatever. But the, you know, the, the idea of the message is if you wash your turkey, all you can do is spread um, pathogens around. And, and so don't do that because, you know, you're, you, that's, that's increasing the cross-contamination potential. Uh, but conversely, if you're washing your hands, you, you may be also spreading stuff that might be on your hands around. So cleaning and sanitizing after that's an, an important step um, as well. To, before we leave this, I want to highlight a, a paper um, that, that's a, a decade or so old now uh, from a group, the, the fantastic group in Wales or former group in Wales. Um, I guess it's still a, 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 it's, it's a great group in Wales, but some of the I think, folks, I think you're thinking of the outlaw Jesse Wales. The, yeah, I'm thinking of uh, Moby Dick. Um, mm -hmm. And uh, this was uh, some work done by Chris Griffith and Denise Worsfold um, looking at giving people raw chicken, having them make uh, a meal and looking at where they could recover Campylobacter from afterwards. And um, so they uh, uh, found that of uh, you know, 25 pre people were, were you know, made, they put 25 people through this observation. Um, 11 um, uh, of those uh, events, in 11 of those events, Campylobacter was isolated from the raw chicken prior to. Um, and then the organism was recovered from hands, oven handles, countertops, and draining boards following the preparation of the chicken. And so this was not a, a situation where they added a surrogate to the, um, to it, to, to the into the system, what they did was uh, sampled the juice before and said, okay, let's let's look at naturally occurring situations. Let's mimic exactly what we see um, because this is chicken that was store bought. So you know, so so we we do have data on that now. Whether that's aerosolizing, whether that has to do with washing, any of that kind of stuff, isn't is actually not in their uh, described in their data set. We just know that 
Uh, in a in a kitchen situation, when you're handling raw raw chicken, raw poultry, you have a pretty good chance of moving stuff around. Bah. In, indeed, and, and we'll also link to an article uh, called Cross-Contamination During Food Preparation, a Mechanistic Model Applied to Chicken-Borne Campylobacter uh, by um, um, uh, somebody named Milas, who I don't know, and Martin Nauda and Ari Havilar from uh, RIVM. So, and again, that's a part of their overall Campylobacter uh, QMRA. So, well, there you so go. good. Thanks. You're welcome. Thank you. Um, hey, so quick one from me. Sabra, Sabra, don't know if that's what, how do you uh, pronounce this? Oh, yes. Hey, they got a bunch of listeria in their facility and then they recalled 55 products, like all the, all the hummus. You know, and and this I can always tell like when an outbreak is kind of big because I start to hear about it from outside like the regular sources. Mm-hmm. And I had a friend text me that the grocery store where he works, uh, they they pulled it from the shelves. And so, yeah, it's uh, it, this is a big one. It, this is a big one. Um, I just uh, like breaking news. Just received a question from an extension agent um, and I will uh, read read you her question. Let me go back to my email here. Uh, subject is hummus recall, uh, recall in Sabra hummus. I have five of the roasted red peppers in my fridge, ready to do a taste test at the elementary school with first graders. It says discard if they were made before November 7th and have a best before date up through January 23rd. Mine have a best before date of December 26th. I need to discard all of mine. Correct. And my answer was yes. Exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, big, big deal. They, they haven't attached a, um, they, they talk about 55 different products, but they have not attached a, a weight in weight how much this is. But, I mean, I can't think of uh, any Sabra hummus that's not on this list. Um, right. There might be other Sabra products that are not hummus yeah. that are not on the list. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. So not included in this recall. They're organic hummus, which must come from a different spot, salsa, guacamole, and Greek yogurt, yogurt dips. Uh, but man, um, and, and this, I mean, there's not enough information. I mean, uh, same story as what we talk about all the time, uh, on these really big recall. And it says, uh, these are concerns of listeria that were identified at the manufacturing facility, but not in tested finished products. Uh, yep. Just like, uh, lots of these other things that maybe it's been in the product, maybe it hasn't, but if you find it and you don't have great cleaning and sanitation, or even if you do, but don't have good verification uh, or validation of that cleaning and uh, sanitation process, um, maybe you got a lot of Listeria in your product. Indeed. And hopefully Um, (laughs) And And you know, uh, Ben, what what people really should be worried about um, in these in these days of microbiology and uh, and and uh, fear? What do you know? Do you know? No. What? What? All the germs, diseases, oh. and bacteria that live on our phones. There's so much on our phones, Don. I'm yes. Talking, um, wait, so wait. We you will... know what? I'm, you know I'm touching my phone right now, Don. Oh my God. I know. Wait a minute. Wait a minute. I, let me touch my phone. Oh. I'm touching my phone now. Um, <laughs> so, so this is this is an annoying article, um, uh, which we can talk about uh, from Business Insider, which is where I go for all of my uh, key food safety information. The, t- the the headline is literally: "Here are all the germs, diseases, and bacteria that live on our phones." That's the title of the article. Okay, 
it is a, it is a rather short article. I will, I will read you the entire article. Now I have to say there is a three minute video that, that is linked to in the article, but, uh, but here's, but here's the text. Many of us take our phones with us wherever we go, including the bathroom. We were curious how this affected the phones and if there could be any bacteria, pathogens, or anything else on them. We sampled 19 phones for bacteria and brought them to Dr. Susan Whittier, Associate Professor of Clinical Pathology and Cell Biology at Columbia University. I think that's in New York City. Here are the results. Disclaimer, colon, our results are from a small selective sample and do not necessarily apply to the general population. Also, it's a video and it's not peer reviewed. That last phrase is from me. <laughs> um, ben, in the grand scheme of things, how much do you worry about uh, germs, diseases, and bacteria on your phone? Uh, like, in are we rating these uh, from one to ten? One being sure. Okay, one being I don't care at all. Um, to ten, um, uh, alert, alert. I, yes, I, I would say like point point zero four. <laughs> less than one. Less than one. Uh, I, I, yeah, measurable. Uh, maybe less than detectable. But yeah, I, I don't. I don't really care. I don't even. Don. I and I. We, we might uh, not uh, make some friends on this. I don't even care if someone takes their phone into a restaurant production line. I just don't. I don't think it's a real good source of of pathogens. Um, I think that maybe I would worry much more about their shoes than their phone. <laughs> well, the, yeah, but the, I, I, let me push back a little bit on that and say that the, the phone could be a cross-contamination source, whereas um, probably not their shoes. So um, <clears throat> if somebody was – if somebody was what? Uh, all, right, all right. I'm, I'm listening. I'm if listening. Somebody, all right. So if somebody's working on the line and they're handling raw meat, um, I, I really don't want them handling their phone in the middle of all that because the, the phone could be a source of cross-contamination. Now, that said, the average person's phone I don't worry about. Um, I, I, I also don't really worry about the cashier handling the money, um, making the sandwich kind of a thing um, because I think that the risks are, are fairly low. But again, probably best practices, you change your gloves, et cetera, et cetera. But, uh, but right. you know, I... Uh, so I, I don't worry about bacteria from my phone. I don't worry about bacteria from your phone. I think somebody who's handling food should probably not be handling their phone, just as they shouldn't be handling any other surface that could facilitate cross-contamination. Ah, okay. That's my point. Okay, I see what you're saying. Let me let me push back on you a little bit. All right. Um, let's, let's get into it a little here this morning. So if, if they're already following the code – it tells them that if I'm handling raw chicken, that I need to wash my hands after I do after I handle it, and if I'm going to go ahead and, and handle some ready-to-eat food, um, if I'm following the 2013 code, or even if I'm not, so say if it's the 2013 code, it says no bare hand contact, and if it is with ready-to-eat food, if I'm not, if we are in a state where they haven't adopted that piece, I still have risk management steps that I'm required to do in in between. So. The fact that someone takes a phone in there isn't enough to me to say, hey, this is a problem. It's if they don't uh, uh, handle – if they don't um, follow what they're supposed to do when it comes to uh, risk management steps afterwards. Oh, no, I, I agree. I agree. So, yes, so there is no, the, the phone is no more inherently risky than their shoes. Yes. I agree that, that if you're thinking about the bringing a contaminated item into a kitchen, a shoe is going to be more contaminated than a phone. It's just less likely to be a source of cross-contamination. I, I, do, I do worry a little bit, though, about like, ooh, my phone just buzzed. Um, that's an important text message. I really need to look at that right now, even though I'm in the middle of prepping chicken, right? So I, I worry because we do know that people have difficulty maybe sometimes 
terms of, you know, not looking at their phone. So that, enough, that's the only thing. Yeah. Whereas, whereas like I'm probably in the middle of prepping raw chicken. I'm probably, if I notice my shoe is untied or, you know, I've got some gum on the bottom of my shoe, I'm probably not going to you know, like stop and deal with that right then. Like it's easier to ignore than, than a buzzing phone. Right. Right. And, um, I, I'm interested, you know, maybe I might be tracking something across uh, the floor of a kitchen with my shoes, but... But it's the floor. But it's the floor. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm good. Okay. Well, I, th- we're, I, think I, think we're, I think we're more on the same page yeah. than not. Yeah, we're good. We're good on that. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I would say, what, what did I say? Point, point zero four three, point four three. That's where I am. Okay. I, and and uh, we're curious. My favorite part about this, and I didn't watch the video. Did you watch the video? I, I did. I don't want to watch it right now, no. but it's 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 fine. I mean, the 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 nice lady from the university does a good job of uh, you know not um, uh, uh, not 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 trying to be too uh, inflammatory, but it's you know it, whatever. I mean, it's fine. It just got some it's got some clicks for Business Insider, but again, Business Insider is not where I go for my definitive food safety information. No, and and I hope they answer the question on whether I'm curious as well on how the disease and germs and bacteria affect my phone. I'm much more concerned about my phone. Is it slowing well, it down? I, Do I? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it is. It's killing my battery life. But the, the headline, here are all the germs, diseases, and bacteria that live on our phones. Yeah, what about the ones that don't? All of them, Ben. All of them. All, all of them, that, and they live, that, Ben, they live on our phones. All of them. I mean, it's just an annoying headline. It is, and, and, yeah, and... Uh, uh, what about the viruses, Don, that aren't really alive? My Venn, well, di- my Venn diagram. Oh, they're germs. They're germs, but they're, it says that they're living on my phone, and the disease that's living on my phone. Is salmonellosis yeah. living on my phone? Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's living. It's living. Is it living on your phone or is it living off your phone? Uh, I mean, you know, it's, I, that would be exciting. If, I, if there were bacteria that could live off of my phone, like could, could actually get sustenance from my phone, that maybe that's where my battery life is going. Living off, living off your phone. I think that's the new Bon Jovi album. <laughs> ding. There we go. There we go. Um, so, uh, so what else you got? What else you got for us? I got I got one I got one one more thing um, which we don't, we don't have to spend a lot of time talking about it which is a t- actually from a tweet by Frank Giannis, uh, uh, head of food safety at Walmart, and uh, his tweet says uh, greater chance of finding salmonella on a cucumber than in a raw egg one in a hundred versus one in twenty thousand and then Frank because uh, he's a cool guy he links to two peer reviewed articles um, one or yeah I guess or maybe not anyway one is a uh, yeah I guess well it's it's yeah, not peer reviewed Anyway, it's yeah. a, it's coming. It's you know, it's coming from FDA, which yeah. is which I, may eventually be pu- published and, and is good. Um, uh, which says one percent of cucumbers carry a, a salmonella. FDA says, and then he links to the uh, 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 article by Ebel and Schlosser, two great risk guys from FSIS on uh, from IJFM from 2000, estimating the annual fraction of eggs contaminated with salmonella entered into this in the United States and. You know, I have to say, I think, uh, I think Frank, uh, you're right. You've you've hit those, you've hit those, you've characterized those numbers correctly. So I'm just curious, Ben. Like, what what do you think about this? I I, I think you're right. Um, I think that uh, as we've started to look, we being FDA, departments of agriculture, academics, everybody who starts to look more and more at 
prevalence of pathogens on um, fresh produce that uh, that we would find one versus 100. And in fact, I am um, frankly <laughs> uh, surprised that one in a hundred is that's a bit low. Like uh, looking back at some of the the work that uh, Francisco Diego uh, Gonzalez did a while ago, looking at prevalence, in, I think it was fr uh, Francisco, prevalence in fresh produce that one to 2% uh, would have a pathogen in it. And we're just focusing on salmonella here. I mean, one, one in a 1%, it's yeah, what I would kind of what I would expect. And it's not news to me. And uh, especially if we go back and let's look at um, non cucumber things. And you and I have talked about cilantro a lot. Uh, the last uh, gasp of the USDA uh, MDP microbiological mm -hmm. data program looking yep. at, I think, what, 11% of their samples had, were positive, of cilantro samples were positive for salmonella. So, yep. Um, so, yeah, the, uh, and, and Frank wrote this tweet correctly as well. Mm -hmm. A greater chance of finding salmonella on a cucumber than in a raw egg. Mm -hmm. Is there a greater chance of being sick with salmonella? Uh, different, different question. Totally different question. Um, and so that's where, and I think the response from Jeff Moore was how comparable egg data is considering different approaches to the estimate. I mean, I think consumption is different. Are you more likely to get sick from an egg? Probably. And I would say I am because I don't need a whole lot of cucumbers. And when I do eat cucumbers, and this comes back to something that Carl Custer is really interested in, and, you know, another shout out to Carl is looking at how people eat cucumbers and whether they eat them uh, with some sort of acidic uh, vinaigrette or something that may also impact the safety of that product. So I eat a ton of eggs. I don't eat a lot of raw eggs, but I do eat, um, I would say, more undercooked eggs than I do raw cucumbers. And undercooked meaning a like sunny side up style, uh, you know, run, runny, run not super runny, but a little bit runny yolk. So yeah, and I and I would say I eat uh, I eat both um, like a, a easy, over easy egg and cucumber on a regular basis. Like we when we make a salad at our house, which we do many nights uh, more often than not, I think, uh, there is often a cucumber on that salad. Um, I think the other thing that needs to be considered is the nature of the salmonella, right? Are, are yeah. the salmonella in eggs more virulent than the salmonella in um, uh, cucumber? And then also, uh, what about um, numbers, right? So uh, if, you, if you have Salmonella in eggs that have been temperature abused, and the, again, to call back to earlier in the episode and Tom Humphrey's research on yolk membrane breakdown. Um, you know, there's a that that changes the risk. Um, cucumber, this probably salmonella are going to be not growing on the surface of the cucumber unless it's damaged, right? And so the, the numbers will be declining uh, over time, um, uh, and and so there's some some things to be considered there. Um, yeah, and so you know, and and if the eggs are part of a pooled dish, so you take those eggs and you pool them together to make, let's say, a, um, a Caesar salad dressing, uh, then the risk goes up because all you need is one bad egg to to spoil the batch, uh, so to speak. So uh, yeah, so so but anyway, really interesting tweet that I'd, it's 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 a thought that I've thought on a regular basis, and I was just pleased to see Frank uh, verbalize it. Well, and and, and I think that. Uh, this kind of stuff, and it goes back to the, the, the here's the third tagline. It's, it's complicated, it depends, and we don't know the whole story <laughs> that you just highlighted, all of the, exactly. the, the stuff, right? Like, so just to, to go back to what 
um, FDA did with this proactive sampling project, and we'll link to this in show notes. Um, they looked at sprouts, uh, avocados. Oh, where is it? Okay. For first year, they looked at uh, fresh avocados, raw milk, cheese, that was aged 60 days, and sprouts. They, looked, they collected more than 800 samples of each commodity and tested them for salmonella um, general, not or SPP, um, Listeria monocytogenes, and 0157 specifically. For fiscal year 2016, they're sampling and testing cucumbers and hot peppers for salmonella and 0157. They took 1,600 samples of each commodity. Uh, what, you know... Uh, Prevalence, so to be more correct, a greater chance of finding a salmonella positive on a cucumber than in a raw egg. You know, I didn't say that very right, but right? Like, yep, yep, all that, all that. Prevalence, not concentration. And again, I, I, you know, not to criticize the FDA, but it would be great if they had concentration data too, because we know concentration matters. But I understand that, you know, there's, you can barely find the positives, right? You're, you're yep. one, one in a hundred, right? Which is, you know, you got to sample a lot of negatives to find a positive, um, even though a one in a hundred risk is a big risk from the consumer's point of view that's, that's eating 100% of those cucumbers. Um, yeah. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, we, we need better data. We need more data, better data. And yeah. And, uh, there, there are some other uh, questions here. Are these, uh, all fresh market cucumbers? Cause I don't really care if, uh, my cucumbers that are going to go into pickles, uh, have salmonella on them. Do you? Well, exactly. Uh, Fred Bright uh, from down in your neck of the woods there at NC State has done some great work on uh, the effect of uh, acids on, in, in the pickling process. And so, yeah, for sure, we know that, that the, if it's a, it really matters if it's a fresh market cucumber rather than, uh, rather than a pickling cucumber, for sure. So, so there you go. Uh, there's always something we can dissect on, on every tweet, Don. <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's what we're good at. It's not guitar playing. No, no, it's we're good at talking, Ben. We found we found our medium. This is it. This is it. Well, uh, hey, I think if only we were like John Roderick and we could be good at both, but that's oh, okay. I know, I know, but and and he's also seems to be pretty good at food safety. <laughs> oh, and he's and he's good at tweeting. He's just good uh, at he's such a handsome, handsome man. He's good at Instagram. He's good at yeah, he's, he's he's a he's way better dresser than both of us. Yes. He also, based on, on what I know of him from listening, it seems like he would take his kid to a concert every Wednesday. Yes. Uh, so he's a better parent. I mean, uh, he's, I don't even – maybe he's not a good hockey player as I am. Uh, you know, that's a good question. Yeah, he's a better skier than us. He, I don't think he played hockey, but he, but he used to ski up in uh, Alaska there, and so he's a – yeah. You know what? I don't even want to ask him that question because it might just put something in his head like, oh, maybe I'll just take on hockey too. And then, then he's better than me at that too. <laughs> like a me- three years down the road, there's uh, John Roderick re- winning some uh, national senior men's uh, hockey title. <sighs> Let's not even bring it up. I'm not going to tweet that at him. He won't listen to me. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> oh, Don, I think we should call that a show. I think this is I a, think I, th- I think that's a show. I think it's a, our, this is our Thanksgiving special. Um, have a have a happy Thanksgiving. Will you be going anywhere where there's snow? Are you heading towards the uh, Ithaca region to go uh, see your see your family? 
Any of that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So we are we are driving uh, to uh, visit my wife's family first in North Jersey, and then on to visit my family in Ithaca. Um, we are going to be taking our new uh, new and improved car uh, for for uh, for driving on snow. We had a couple of cars that were not very good on snow, and so we got a new a new uh, Subaru, uh, a new new to us Subaru that we're we're happy to be taking with us so that we can drive on the snow. And I'm just hoping that we don't. Uh, have to talk about politics at my in-laws' house. <laughs> uh, you you know the, um, just watch the Saturday Night Live Adele uh, skit. Have you seen that from last year? I have not. Oh well, I'll, I'll text you that and we'll we'll Thanks. include that in notes. It'll it'll help the Saturday Night Live. The soothsayers uh, foresaw this uh, conversation last year for Thanksgiving, and put together something uh, that I think you're gonna like. Um, yeah, I think, I think I think Thanksgiving might be a stressful time for a lot of people this year. But uh, anyway, wish everyone well and uh, have a good time. Be safe and try not to talk about politics. Absolutely, and I will. Uh, we'll see you in. We'll talk in December, Don. Have a great. Sounds good. Have a great Thanksgiving. You too. Bye bye. So uh, after dark uh, of uh, but a popular culture, I was going to share this uh, before. Uh, oh, thanks for the You're link. Um, I was going to share this before, uh, but we just didn't didn't get to it. Um, the thing that we've been watching lately, uh, I don't know if you if you I don't think I've talked about this with you before. Maybe I have. Uh, Dirk Gently's Holistic Detective Agency you did. on BBC America yeah, yeah, with the mentioned. the new the new one. Yeah, with uh, with the guy from The Hobbit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You mentioned it last time. I yeah. we haven't watched I, it yet. Ah, uh, yeah, it's it's really it's really good. It's become like my favorite thing, uh, and it's it's still very confusing, and I don't really know what's going on. Uh, lots of storylines, but uh, anyway, just uh, just oh. watch it last night. So wanted to to re- remember, remind uh, you to talk about it or re- whatever. I'll anyway, I'll check you, it out. It's worth it's worth watching. It's 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 a lot of fun. We uh, I started watching The Walking Dead because because uh-huh. people seem apparently to really... a lot of people like that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, friend of the show, Michelle Daniluk, loves it. Uh, so does a uh, friend of the show, Renee Boyer. So I, I trust both of them. Benjamin, Merlin Mann. Yeah, yeah. So, I'm, yeah. so I, I watched the first episode, and it's it's definitely kind of creepy. Uh, and and so, but I'm I'm in. I'm going to start. I'm, I'm pushing myself on this. And I watched uh, season one, episode three of The Wire with Danny this week. 
trying to like, again, for the fourth or fifth time, trying to get her hooked on it. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, so, so we'll see, we'll see how that goes. Cause it's, you know, sometimes when I'm away, she needs a really good show to watch so we can talk about how awesome McNulty is. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and, and all those good things. Um, okay, cool. So I sent you all the stuff. If you can shoot me back the, uh, links, I'm going to put it, I'm tomorrow. I have like almost wide open, so I'm going to get this done tomorrow. And then oh, awesome. are going to show up sometime tomorrow afternoon. Oh, so they're coming down to see you. They are. They are. I was texting with my mom this morning. Um, they are driving through the snow in, or this morning at seven o'clock. They were close to Syracuse, um, which and is, there's a lot of snow in upstate New York. Yeah, right yeah. So it looked. That's why I texted my mom. I was like, "Are you guys all right?" Because, and I saw how much snow came down, and she said, "Yeah, it's not great, but we're we're taking it slow." And and they also have a um, car. It's not super. It's a Hyundai that's got four wheel drive. So. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Um, so yeah, they're on their on their way down, and uh, yeah. So tomorrow uh, I'll see them, and but we'll get this up before then. Cool. Um, okay, so it's November twenty first today. Let's open my calendar. December fifth. It's two weeks today. What does that look like for you? I am going to be on campus because we've got a short course, but I am not uh, I am not teaching in that short course. That is being taught by my friend and colleague and department chair, Dr. Carl Matthews. Uh, he's teaching on Monday, so I could uh, I could do almost any time. I just need to stay away from the like what like would ten o'clock or yeah. uh, one thirty work? Either of e- those would be good. E- yeah, either of those are great. Let's do one thirty. Okay. And that whole week, that's 114. That is really good. So if we, for whatever reason, if we have to make any changes, I'm I'm around all week. Cool. I got one one thing going on on the 6th, but I don't know if I'm going to go to it or not. You got tenure. I do. Screw it. Exactly. I'm working on, I'm working on bigger things, Don. So I'm playing the long game. That's, <laughs> yo. <laughs> you gotta play the long game. Playing the, I'm playing the long game. That's all in the game. Uh, but I'm gonna see you. Uh, I'm gonna see you next week. Yeah, it's gonna be fun. It is. I I think you know not uh, not not talking about not you know non confidential things or confidential things. I think I am looking forward to the conversation we're gonna have at the alliance next week. I think uh, I, I think it will help. Uh, uh, bo- hopefully, both of us resolve our. Um, our vision and uh, uh, challenges as it relates to the alliance. Yeah, and you know, I, I've I've been I've been alternatively uh, annoyed and irritated with the alliance, but I think we're I think we're finally finding our feet, uh, much like uh, much like John Gruber on Daring Fireball. Um, and uh, yeah, I think it's uh, I think it, it's headed in a good direction. So, and I'm confident that we're uh, yeah we're 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 getting there little by little, but we're getting there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think it is, uh, it's good. We're having, like I, like I texted you, I put my, put my adult pants on when I had that conversation the other day. That's good. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I'll see you next week. Um, Sounds good. What, uh, what's your, when are you coming in on Monday night? Or yes. You, yeah, and, I'll... and yeah, did you, and last time we talked, you hadn't finalized your plans. I have now finalized my plans. I will be arriving at seven ten on uh, Tuesday morning. My flight okay. is at 6 uh, a.m. out of Raleigh, and then I'm leaving at 4.17 on Tuesday so I can play hockey next Wednesday night. 
Cause it's, it's priorities, man. Why, Priority. First, first uh, week of the playoffs, Don. We don't mess around with the playoffs. <laughs> Dude, like, never mess around with playoffs. Never mess around with the playoffs. Uh, cool. Okay, so I got this. Uh, have a great Thanksgiving. And Thanks. Enjoy the uh, Thanksgiving miracle from Saturday Night Live. Make sure you watch that before you. I, I'm just right next up on my queue of things to do. Excellent. I'll talk to you later. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye.